I have a handout, and I'll tell you what, if uh, people can share, if you're here by yourself, please take one. I think we got about 16 of these, so maybe we got that many family units here. But uh, I said I want to have something physically to put in your hands. We was hoping to have some slides. We got a couple of videos on studying the Bible and uh, how, to, how to approach to learn God's Word. And so there's uh, some instructions I'm going to take you through on just one of many Bible websites that you can do some re- research on. And, and if we're... If we're missing some, we'll send somebody back to the uh, office. And uh, I even figured out on our copier how to hit the staple thing. I was feeling really good about myself today. So uh, there was some debate a few years ago that the way we listed um, our fundamental truths, 16 fundamental truths, that we needed to probably put uh, the triune God, the, the uh, um, doctrine about the Trinity. And, um, but really and truly, I think they decided to just, well, we ought to leave it like it is. Because if you go to ag.org, the uh, Sims of God website, and go to our statement of fundamental truths, our beliefs, do we need some more copies? Okay, good. Um, when you go to that website, you will see the very first statement of, uh, of our, our confession, our faith, is the scriptures inspired. And because uh, we believe in the inerrancy of scripture, that they are inspired of God and they are inerrant. We are, of, of course, talking about the autographs because... Machines can print the Bible wrong. We're not talking about that, that a, a faulty Zondervan print job on a Bible. We're talking about the text itself is, is inerrant and inspired of God. And uh, it reads specifically, the scriptures, both the Old and New Testament, are verbally inspired of God are in, and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. And they give three scripture references, as you see on there, that backs that statement up. So everything we teach, we believe, should be found in scripture, right? So how do you study this priceless gift that we have, the Bible? Well, I'm going to talk about some tools you need, and um, I brought one of those tools with me, um, a good study Bible. And this is uh, a full life study Bible. It's named Life in the Spirit Study Bible, but when you look on the inside, it's formerly known as the Full Life Study Bible. Uh, I'm going to show you a video here in just a moment about that Bible. We had Linda Stamps here uh, back in the 90s. Her husband, Donald Stamps, is in this video. They were missionaries to uh, Latin America. And her husband took the task, and and when you're overseas and you're trying to get people a good copy of Scripture in their language, you just, you realize some of them don't have a very good translation. Like when I was teaching in Russia, 
the Russian Bible they had was translated from the English translation. It wasn't even translated from the original. So there's, you've got one translation removed from what, you know, words in the original that we translate was okay in English. You take that English word and you translate that into Russian, you, you might be losing a little bit, right? So uh, the, the, this Bible is now in Russian. It's in probably 40 or 50 different languages now. And they're working on other languages. Um, so you, gotta, you need a good study Bible, like the Full Life Thompson Chain Reference, a Bible that has, like, when, at the start, at the front end of the book of Matthew, it's going to take you through about when it was written, what was uh, some of the circumstances in it probably being prompted to be written, um, who was it targeting, and some different, what's the themes, um, of Matthew, the same thing with Mark, so it gives you that. And then throughout, there's uh, study references, cross-references, which is very important for us because uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, just the other day, and and uh, the, the teacher was teaching on Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and uh, the, the words that Jesus cried out um, in Hebrew that came directly from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is kind of like the prophetic psalm of the crucifixion. You just read Psalm 22, and Jesus is fulfilling Psalm 22 hanging on the cross. Hundreds of years after David wrote it, word for word, Jesus is pulling text from there. So when you see these kind of cross-references, it helps you understand that what he was doing on the cross was a fulfillment of a prophecy. Um, But I want to show you this video on what is now called the Fire Bible, and they'll tell you in the video why it became known as the Fire Bible. So hopefully this will come on up good. Stamps, a missionary to Latin America, saw a need within the Brazilian Pentecostal Church for a study Bible, presenting specific teaching on the person, power, and presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The Full Life Study Bible Project had begun. Don Stamps finished his notes immediately before his untimely death in 1991. By this time, it had already been decided that the Full Life Study Bible would be published, not just in Portuguese, but in Spanish and English as well. In 1992, the first copies of the New Testament of the Full Life Study Bible were placed in the hands of spirit-filled believers, with the entire Bible available in 1994. Its collection of 44 maps and charts, concise concordance, center cross-referencing, 77 theme articles on theology and Christian life, book introductions, and study notes on every page made the Full Life Study Bible the first of its kind a Pentecostal, one-book Bible school. Its instant discipleship impact on the lives of believers was overwhelming. A spark had ignited. By 1995, it was evident that the Full Life Study Bible was needed, not just for believers in the Americas, but for everyone all over the world. The Full Life Study Bible was then translated and printed in six additional languages, giving it a presence on every continent. 
By 1998, it was printed in simplified Chinese. Because of the effect this Bible had on the Chinese church, the spirit-filled believers appropriately renamed it the Fire Bible. This label was adopted as the new name for the Full Life Study Bible Project. Now, over 40 Fire Bible language translations have been completed. These Bibles are reaching metropolitan people in megacities like Bangkok and also small jungle hill tribes like the Hmong. It is found among the theological giants of Germany and amid the desert Bedouins of Jordan. Through the multi-language release of the Fire Bible digital app in 2015, the Fire Bible is available to over 60% of the world's population through the World Wide Web. With just under 5 million copies printed worldwide, the Fire Bible has become the most printed and distributed study Bible in the history of the world. Although there are over 40 languages already complete, the vision for the Fire Bible is far from concluded. The Fire Bible is scheduled to be produced in over 100 languages or editions by the year 2022. The Fire Bible is a raging firestorm sweeping the globe with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, changing the lives of individuals, families, leaders, churches, and nations. The Fire Bible, bringing the fire of God's word to the human heart. What's well, uh pretty hefty challenge and vision, isn't it? This is uh, one of the best Pentecostal study Bibles. The, the notes in it um, had a, a number of people contribute to it. Um, the Bible has its own history. The English Bible definitely has its own history from William Tyndall and um, the men who kind of broke through the barrier that uh, the church, then the Catholic Church, did not want anything other than Latin. And so when uh, Luther uh, translated scriptures into German, he was in trouble, and uh, these others were in trouble. But, but the hunger for God's word just overtook these people. And um, one, of the, one of the better resources to look at the manuscripts, and I think, I think this is one of the places we really failed to create value in our church, um, and that is for the, for the Bible you have in your hand, uh, how you got it, to have a copy of it. Um, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're blessed people. And, and I think we almost, because it, we, it's so common to us, we've kind of lost the uh, awe of it. And we need to regain that. And I think when we regain that, we'll dive back into it like we need to and consume it. And in return, it will consume us. Because the Word of God is alive and powerful. Josh McDowell is one of the resources. He's given some lectures recently where they used um, a cover for burial cloths and they found out that they used some old manuscripts for those things that they would wound around people and, and uh, as they, they soften it up, moisturize them, they, they unravel them and they find them more and more manuscripts, um, and the evidence just keeps piling up that the accuracy of the Bible. I want you to, because what we have is a, you know, this Bible is mass produced now because of the printing press. Gutenberg created the printing press to print Bibles quicker, a lot quicker than people hand copying it. Until Gutenberg's printing press 
scriptures were handwritten in copies. So you can understand the risk of a scribe making a mistake. This is why our oldest manuscripts like the uh, Sinaiticus and Alexandrinus Codexes, which is the, the big, thick page layered on copies, complete copies of the New Testament, are so valuable because as you compare the manuscripts, you see how accurate God had to be overseeing that because we'd have a mess on our hands if it was just un under human technology. And also the people probably copying had the fear of God upon them. But I want you to see that this is kind of like some of the tradition of how the Hebrew, the rabbis and the scribes that would copy the Old Testament scriptures. Um, and this is just a real short, brief video on how the work of a scribe took place. Let's have a moment of honesty here. Everything we believe hangs on this book being true. A book that's been copied by hand in a game of telephone lasting centuries. Yeah, let's deal with that doubt for a minute. To trust this book, you have to trust the people that made it. So, let's look at the work of a scribe responsible for the Torah. Before he can ever touch ink to paper, there are 4,000 rules he has to memorize. He's a professional responsible for every stage of production. Preparing the calfskin, creating a grid with pinholes and string, so each letter is in the same place. Each word reads with the same ease and accuracy as the original. Even the tedious task of preparing a day's worth of ink from gall nuts. He copies one word at a time, first saying, then writing, then saying it again. Make a mistake on God's name, he starts the whole document over. Every single letter, 304,805 of them, is written according to a prescribed set of strokes. He writes with a feather quill, by candlelight, with ink that bleeds and runs, and the letters <coughs> must not touch. We're talking about a lifetime of backbreaking dedication, and that means this book is not just any book. It means that the words it contains, God meeting his people face to face, God leading, protecting, providing for them. Those words can't be a mistake. So we're forced to deal not just with words, but with the living God himself. Pretty neat, isn't it? <laughs> if you want to hear some great stuff, go to Josh McDowell's uh, website because he's got a lot of short little videos like that. Let me go to dictionaries. Um, you need a good study Bible to study. Um, some good notes, cross-references, things that point you to other places in the Bible where you can compare passages. A lot of these things are interconnected because, you know, the theme runs all the way. Some, these themes run through all through the Bible. But Bible dictionaries, Baker's is one of the dictionaries. And, and I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to get to the website here in just a moment. But almost without question, everybody used to have to pull a book off the shelf like, I wore out just about Strong's Concordance, Exhaustive Concordance, and that's listed down later. But you've got uh, Baker's Bible Dictionary, Easton's, Holman's, and there's probably a number of others where you can look up uh, Sepulcher. You can look up uh, uh, something and it'll give you the background and, and how, it, how it was taking place and, and all the nuances to it. And I mentioned concordances and exhaustive concordances. Um, the thing about uh, Strong's is you take the word was and it will list every time it appears in the Bible. 
page after page of was. <laughs> so it is a big old book. But if you're looking for a particular word and you like, I think I remember a verse, you know, you can just scroll through that and find where that word appears in the scriptures. Um, the fourth tool is commentaries. Um, he mentions the scribe and the work of the scribe. They did this on material that was, was, not, it was not easily attained. Uh, even the papyrus that a lot of the New Testament was written on, there was a process, and it was not very good quality. It was uh, more expensive to buy sheepskin, vellum, and stuff like that, so they came up with this pulp of the papyrus uh, plant in the Nile River, and they'd cut out the pulp and lay it and cross-lay it and press it and let it dry out, and that's what they wrote books on. And it didn't last very long, but miraculously, we have papyrus fragments of the Gospel of John. That's within probably 30 years of John's writing it. So it's amazing study. Um, but commentaries, Matthew Henry. When you look at uh, Matthew Henry, who knew Hebrew, Greek, here's a guy that rode horseback and did not have a computer, did not have a tape recorder, did not have electricity. He wrote an entire commentary on the entire Bible while traveling around preaching, riding by horseback. At night, in front of a lamp, writing what he studied these scriptures to mean. And when you can easily pull that up on a website and read Matthew Henry's commentary, it's so accessible. But look at the blood, sweat, and the tears. And it's, it's probably one of the most... Uh, Dr. Mark Rutland, one of the great communicators, great preachers that I've, I've ever sat under. He was at Garywood Assembly of God a number of years ago and Brother Loper was still pastoring and he was doing like a, a thing for ministers and some of us went to it and he had a Q&A and my question was, is, is how, what commentaries do you use in sermon preparation? He said, I only use Matthew Henry's and, uh, and I don't use it all the time but if I want to say what somebody's perspective was on it, he said, I go to Matthew Henry. Um, I'm also going to mention here a Bible app. Um, I have Uversion on my phone. A lot of you have Uversion. It's a it's a free Bible app. It's highly functional. It's uh, always it's continually being updated. It's easy to use. Again, it's got a search mechanism in it. If you've got a phrase in the Bible, like "Go ye therefore," and uh, you know you can type that in, and it'll search and it'll tell you where that phrase is found. Um, it also has a devotional uh, connection with it. It has a verse of the day, um, and it can be on your iPad or phone. It's uh, highly effective. But when you're studying, when you're looking at Scripture, here's some questions that we need to ask as we're reading, whether it's uh, Psalms or Jeremiah. Uh, we say, who wrote this book? And when we say who wrote the book, we're not talking about just a name. We're talking about, well, well like the prison epistles, like Paul wrote Philippians from a dungeon. And there's not one complaint in it. In fact, it's, it's, it's such a uplifting. You know, he says, I've learned that whatever state I'm in, I'm content. And he talks about rejoice 
And again, I say rejoice, and he's sitting in a prison cell. So when, you, when I say who wrote it, I'm not talking about just like, oh, Paul wrote that. Well, what, what was the surrounding of Paul? And it kind of puts in, like, he wrote that in that setting. It makes the words a little bit more powerful, doesn't it? And then you say, why is he writing this book? What, what prompted? Sometimes it's easy. If you read First and Second Corinthians, you'll know why Paul was prompted by the Spirit to write those two books. Because that church had problems. And he was addressing their problems. Almost all through the books, he's, he's talking about issues that they got. And he's trying to bring correction and direction and instruction. He doesn't always do that. doesn't do that hardly with the uh, church at Ephesus. But that's some of the things. So who is he writing it to and what was going on there? Um, and number four is what specifically is he saying? And I think that's one of the important questions. When we read something that says, okay, what is he saying? Not what we think he's saying, but what is he literally saying? Because the best interpretation of the Bible, unless you're talking about, you know, the beast in Revelation, you need to take it literally. And when it's uh, allegorical, when there's these metaphors that are out there, um, you know, C.S. Lewis has a neat saying that, you know, when the Lord says, let, your, let you have be as peaceful as doves, he's not talking about us becoming doves. <laughs> you know, he, he's using that as an analogy. So take it literally. And number five is this. What is the application of that passage to me? What is the application? What does it mean to me? We can go through these questions as to what was going on when he wrote it, who is he writing it to, but what, what can I pull out of that that fits me in my situation? And one of the best examples to me is Jeremiah 29, 11. Most everybody knows a little bit what I know the plans I have for you. Not, not to harm you, but to prosper you. You know, and people write that out and put it on their dashboard, on their mirror. Um, but they hardly have any idea the context. It is a letter to exiles that he was sending. And if you read the whole letter, you'll see that God is telling them, because, you know, there's people that want to prophesy good things and everybody clap. You know, why? We want that prophecy. And Jeremiah was not one of those guys. <laughs> Hardly anybody liked what he prophesied. Because most of the time it's like, here's judgment's coming, and, you know, the nation's going to be defeated. And they're going to they're gonna defeat us. They're going to overrun Jerusalem. And, and uh, our king is going to be deported. And, and goes, oh, we reject that. <laughs> That's not the word of the Lord. And, and so there was people telling the exiles and trying to encourage them by saying, we're not going to be here long. We're not going to be here long. God's going to get us out of here and put us back. And how many years did the Lord say he would have them out of the country? Seventy years. But there's people come along and says, you know what? I think I've heard from the Lord. It's not going to be 70 years. That's for something else. And Jeremiah was responding to these false prophets who was telling the people, 
you know, chill out. Don't worry about it. We're going to be getting out of here. God's going to get us out of here. And he tells them just the opposite. He says, you need to settle down. You need to plant gardens. You need to prepare for weddings for your children because they're going to be long, you're going to be long enough there for them to get married and to, for them to have children. And he says, you just need to settle down. You need to try to bless where you're at and make the most of it because God says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, does that statement take on a little bit of different connotation? We want to grab that and just say, that's for me. And if you're in a context of where things are going, you know, haywire and people are telling you one thing and you look and God says, you need to settle down because you're gonna, it's going to take you a while to get through this. But I do have a plan for you. It's a great illustration of what I'm saying. And now we have the World Wide Web at our disposal. Let me take you through some Bible study things here. I've mentioned this before, but I pulled off some um, pictorial things to show you what it looks like. And I'm talking about BibleStudyTools.com. There's a Bible Gateway. There's a Bible Hub. And I've used Bible Gateway um, but I've kind of adopted Bible study tools because it's easy for me to navigate. Once I learn where things were at, I can go to it faster. But uh, there's the link right at the st- to start. And when you go to Bible study tools, that's what you see will pop up. You'll see uh, the Bible there. You'll see search the Bible. And what you can do there, you can put a Bible reference. You can put Matthew 28 there. Or you can put um, disciples, and it'll search where everywhere the word disciples are at. Underneath where it says the Bible and search the Bible, you'll see there's your options for translations, and it's defaulted at the New International. But you can go to the King James translation, you can go to New American Standard, New Living Standard, the Message. It's got paraphrase. It's got um, all kinds of different translations. I mean a myriad of translations. About everything you can think of, you have that option to whatever you put in that search the Bible and you take your optional translation and you click on what you want and you hit find it. That's where it's going. And I'm kind of explaining this using Matthew. That should be 28, 16 through 20. Um, you could put Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and it's the, what? The Great Commission, right? It's the end of Matthew's gospel. Um, or you could search by go you therefore. But the thing about it is if you, if you memorize Scripture in the King James, you need to take the translation option and make it the King James because it'll only search for that phrase in the King James. You follow me? Um, over to the right is a really neat option and that is books. When you pull that up and you click on that, the first two things that's at the top of the list is Old Testament, New Testament. So you can search for a word if you just want to search in the Old Testament for a specific word. You can say, I I don't need it to search the New Testament. I just need it to search the Old Testament. And you can use that as a filter. I only want the Old Testament. But you look down, and it's got specific books of the Bible, 
And if you want to find forgiveness and you want to find how many times it is, it is in Matthew, you can go down and it'll search only Matthew. If you're looking for something and you know maybe it's in Corinthians or you're like, I, I need it, and you don't need it to search the whole Bible, you can make that search very quick in the options. And, and I'll, I'll show you something here that I did. I put Holy Spirit, um, King James, and uh, the results were not good. I realized that King James does not translate Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. So uh, the results, I, I changed it. And so there's the search results, but I only gave you the graphic from the NIV. And you'll see, if you can read that, the, the real light lettering um, above Matthew 1.18, it says one. I think there's 95 search results. That's real light lettering next to the Holy Spirit that's in red. So it'll tell you how many, and it'll start from the, I put just New Testament. So that's the first place in the New Testament that the phrase Holy Spirit appears is Matthew 1.18. And when you go to a Bible reference like, um, when you look down at Matthew 28, 16 through 20, I have that there, the Great Commission. This is how it appears in the, in the NIV. And when you get to a chapter down at the bottom above this, you'll see study tools from Matthew 28. You see that? When you go through and you read the scriptures, you scroll on down, and at the bottom it gives you study tools from Matthew 28. And among them is some commentaries, uh, uh, John Darby's uh, commentary, Matthew Henry's. You can do the concise commentary or the, or the full-blown exhaustive commentary. Um, Robertson's Word Pictures, the Schofield Reference Bible is one of the options there. Um, the Treasure of Scripture Knowledge is a cross-reference tool to, to see where does this lead to other places that connect in the Scripture. So um, let me take you down to the bottom of the graphic where it says, look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And you see down at the bottom, you'll see these options, and they are in really light print, but you see interlinear. There's only two, uh, two translations that the interlinear option on Bible study tools is available, and that's King James and New American Standard. The interlinear is, is going to show you in, in the next graphic on the last page at the top. When you hit in, interlinear in whatever scripture, you can just have one scripture or a whole chapter, and you hit interlinear, and this pops up. It pops up, the entire text pops up, and it's got the English above and the Greek underneath it. And these are all, the words are all in blue that's being translated. And so you can click on um, 18 and 19. What I did was uh, in verse 19, uh, go therefore, you can click on that, or the first word in the Greek, you can click on that because that's the word translated go therefore. And make disciples, you can click on make disciples or go down and, and click on the third word in that first line of the Greek. And you don't even have to know this. You don't have to learn it. You can just say, what is that translated from? And when you do that, the last 
graphic I have here is what pops up. Martha Teo. Martha Teo. And that is, we get the word martyr from that. Go and be the witness and make those who are willing to witness to the point of dying for their witness. It's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Um, And it gives you um, down at the bottom to be a disciple of one, to follow his his, um, precepts and instructions, to make a disciple, to teach. One translation, and teach, but it actually is a stronger word than teach. Teaching is giving instruction and information. This is actually forming people who are devoted followers of Jesus. Now, um, you can you can go through just about any book of the Bible like this, and you can find all kind of information. And and anybody that can navigate Facebook can navigate this. Yeah. Well, what they will give you is you see under word origin, they got another word under word origin. And, and when, when you start going there, and what's going to happen is if you, if you just kind of like, it's like exploring caves. When we were like kids over in Shelby County, long before they cleaned up what we call Kalmoga Cave and na- renamed it DeSoto Caverns, we would go through there and we'd have mud up to our knees because it was just... But you, you branch off, and what you can do, you start branching off, and you'll get off onto a totally different website. And sometimes you'll hit the arrow to go back, and nothing will happen. is <laughs> because you're going over into a word origin. Um, there's some of these that will give, like, what, what did the Septuagint use? The te- Septuagint was, um, was, it was what Jesus it was about two centuries before Jesus. And that was the Greek people took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into Greek. And that was the Septuagint. So obviously Greek words had to be used for Hebrew words. And some, some of these will tell you not only the origins, but this word was what was used in Hebrew. So it, it may not be an exact uh, match, but it does give you some kind of reference as to how they use the word. Just like, you, you really think about it, <clears throat> in the in this particular, you, you can't hardly see it here um, when, when you're on this last page where it says, go therefore and make disciples, and that first line of, of blue words in the Greek, right next to it is real tiny letters. Do you see that? Um, that is a code as to what that is. The, the word translated make disciples is an aorist, active, middle, imperative form of the word to make disciples. All of those things mean something. Meaning this. Now, I had a couple of years of Greek, but it's long ago. It's kind of like having Spanish in high school. <laughs> so... But it's the most versatile language to say what was the person saying, what was the mood they were in, which is that, that's one of the 
What was the temperament? Uh, what was the timing? Was it to start now or start later? Was it to complete it now or was it to be ongoing? It's like the word tetelestai that, that is translated when Jesus said it is finished. It's one word, but it's an unusual word. It's a perfect tense verb, meaning it's finished and it stays finished. He could have said it's finished and it would be just past tense, but it wasn't past tense. He used a special word from the cross. In the fullness of time, think about this. In the fullness of time, what did God do? He sent his son, we can say, at the right time. And he sent his son where the literary language of the day was one of the most versatile languages ever in the world. With the most versatile options with verbs and nouns and how to be specific, they have four words for love. We have one. So we say the same thing about ice cream than we have about our wife. But is it the, is it the same love? I hope it's not. But this is, the, this is the handicap of our language is that we just, sometimes we don't have, you know, we have to put adjectives and adverbs to kind of make it intensive. You know, that I really love you. I love you to the moon and back. How about that? That Maybe that's agape love in English. Uh, it's the highest level of love. But... You know, when, when you look at this and you see these are, special, these are special words. The writers who wrote this, they, they were being very specific by the words they used, the tense they used, the, the voice they used, whether it was active voice, meaning the person who's speaking is doing the act, action. Passive voice, meaning it's, it's something being done from someone to me, where Jesus said, how about this for a commandment? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How about that for a commandment? We could be okay, he says. I can fill you with the Holy Spirit. But when he commands him, be filled, what do you do? It's a commandment to allow him to fill you. Your participation is yielding. But that's a, that's a passive imperative. You know, it's, and these these are all intertwined in these uh, verb conjugations. That that all all that you do in the language is there. You can be very specific. As the world gives. Does anybody know what the Spanish word for devil is? Diablo. Diablo. 
Now, we use, we use a word that has a different etymology, devil. It's not from biblical language. But they actually use a word for devil that comes directly from the Greek word for devil, which is diabolos. And it's, it's like the contract of two words, to throw against, which means he is the adversary. He's always against you. He's always plotting against you. He's throwing things at you. The word throw is in that word. So you know, we, we, don't, we don't have the strength in some of our words. He's identified specifically as the accuser of the brethren, the one who's always an ad, he's adversarial to the core. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a murderer. And he, that's all he can be because that's his nature. So that's just one word that, in Latin, uh, Spanish is pretty close to Latin, some of their words, but I don't even know where the Spanish came up with. So, well, we'll just use the Greek word. We'll just say Diablo, you know, make it sound a little Latin, Diablo. <laughs> it's Diabolos. No, we don't like that. Diablo is better. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, you, you do not have to go to seminary. The, the thing about it, that I'm amazed at what's available to us. I really am amazed. I'm amazed that books I don't have to pull off a shelf, I can get to so quick. And I can get there through a search engine. And I'm not uh, computer savvy at all. But, I, you know, when my daughter says, Daddy, you need an iMac, you need a MacBook, you need something, you need to get rid of that PC. And it was like I was, hand, I was handcuffed. I just was, like, navigating through that thing. I says, I'm, and I'd go back over and use my PC because I had Bible study um, software on it. And I, could, I, could, I knew that. I didn't want to learn something new. Anybody else like that? I didn't want to just... Dive into something I was having to relearn. Logos is a very good program. Um, but I just encourage you to, you got all this available to you. If you don't use a computer at all, that's fine. But if, if, you, can, if you can get on Facebook, you can get on Bible study tools. And you know what? I think God's going to hold us accountable how we spend our time. It's just a wild thought. That, that maybe God's going to hold us accountable as to how much we were on Facebook and we were on the mechanism that has podcasts and sermons and study guides, study help, and we just go blazing by it. And we're commenting on everybody's Facebook and liking everybody's Facebook. There's nothing wrong with it. I love it. Kelly told us this, when she was about to have Abby, she says, both of you will get iPhones and you will get pictures from me. Like real time. So we were, we were like the flip phone. We, we were old fashioned. And she just kind of like, you need to get iPhones because I'm going to send y'all pictures and I want you to be able to get them right then when this baby arrives. But what happens is the phone gets to be almost like a command center to us. And all you have to do is go in a restaurant and you make yourself not look at your phone and you watch how many couples are sitting and both are on their phones. There's, there's not even, 
you know, why, why don't you just go to lunch by yourself? You're not going to, yeah, it's cheaper. Let her pay for her own meal. She's going to read her phone all meal long. But I, I want to press you a little bit that we need to be better stewards of our time. And I said we. It's like someone says three fingers are pointing back at you when you point this one. We need to be better stewards of our time. Our devotion for our uh, board meeting Monday night was from John chapter 9 about the blind man. And uh, they, the disciples wanted to discuss why he was blind. Did, who would have thought somebody could sin in the womb? Did he sin? Yeah, he has a bad baby in the womb. Or did his parents sin that caused this? And Jesus basically said to them, Larry gave this to me in, in the message, you're asking the wrong question. You're wasting time. Who cares? The guy's blind. We're here to do the work of God. He doesn't need us to sit around and discuss why he's blind. He needs, he needs to be healed. And we got work to do, and we're wasting time. The, guy, the longer we discuss this, the longer he's blind. And it's almost like I think we can apply that to ourselves, that while we're trying to discuss the world's problem, we need to be more about doing something about the world's problems. And that's witnessing to people. That's sharing the gospel. I've struck up more conversations. Got to pray with for two people yesterday. And one of them, two, two situations, I brought up the, the movie War Room, and it led into me being able to minister to people. I've, I've asked somebody standing in line behind me at the world's most cheapest lunch at Sam's. And turned around and said to this lady, have you watched War Room? Oh, hallelujah, yes. She about like this, broke out into a glory shout. I says, isn't that great in that street? She said, oh, that just stirred me up. And it's like, yeah, right here. But we, we meet people all the time that God may have put right in front of us just to do something to connect them to that he cares. They got to pray for one, one guy and he just wept as I prayed with him because his life is just fouled up. And uh, I, I, was, I was so pumped that morning that this is, this is awesome. I get to do this? And God, you get to do this. I get to watch you do this. Why don't we stand together? There's, these, these are not hard things that I've given you to do. They're very easy. But just say, Lord, I, I want to get closer to you, and I want to know this book better. I need this book. I need your word in me. I need your truth in me. I need a stronger anchor. Lord, we need you. We need your word in us. We